Somehow, some way, the Chicago Bears snatched defeat from the very jaws of victory in a 26 to 31 loss in Motown, where victory was all but assured until it wasn't. Matt Eberflus has a lot of explaining to do in the post-game presser, but before then, Nick and I will take you through everything to do with this game on this episode of Bear With Us. What's going on, everybody? My name is Robert Schmitz here with Bear With Us, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, along with my co-host Nick Whalen of Football Guys, and what a doozy of a football game we have to break down. Now, Nick, I'm going to say I'm going to start with something that I think a lot of Bears fans in this moment are going to find unbelievable. There are a lot of positives. I actually mean an absurd amount of positives to take away from this result, but we have to start. Where where it really hurts. Can you believe this game ended the way that it did? No, because this was for, man, I wanted to say three-fourths, and that's not even right. For, um, you know, nine-tenths of the game, it was everything... I'm, I'm, if people look at my setup, I'm in Michigan right now, ironically on, you know, Thanksgiving, I don't have my mic. I'm, it's a different setup, but I might drive here. I was like, how could this game go any more perfectly? And I was like, yeah, like the defense steps up because it's played so well. We talked about that the last six games fields comes back and he's clicking with more and they're efficient and he doesn't get sacked. And all, and like, I'm on the drive over. And I was like, yeah, okay, this, this. And then all those things were happening. I was like, I was like pinching myself. I'm like, is this a dream? And then we got Eberflus. Dream game. Dream game. Let's dig into that a little bit. Because I love that notion. First off, not only do the Bears start with the ball. I'm starting to think that the Bears whole starting with the ball thing is a shtick to take, to basically control the game script in totality. Basically, they assume that the other team is going to make them start with the ball if they lose the toss. And if they win the toss, they're going to start with the ball anyways. So therefore, they cook up that they just get used to that. I actually think that's kind of neat, by the way. The, the longer I've sat on that, the more I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought about it. Like now, you know exactly what's going to happen on your first drive. Anyways, yep. moving past it. Early, early drive for the D- Detroit Lions. Jaquan Brisker running down to cover the flat unintentionally runs into a receiver, takes him off his route in a play that would be completely illegal if it wasn't incidental, and Tyreek Stevenson picks off a pass. Just a little later, TJ Edwards, after Jared Goff gets pressured, catches a ball thrown straight to him that Jared knows he cannot throw. Uh, Jalen Johnson dropped pick six later, and uh, suddenly the Bears are balling. On yep. defense. Like, I yep. mean, they are getting everything and more they could want from this Lions scheme. And somehow they still went into the first half down after yep. after they'd started hot up seven to nothing. There's so much to unpack here, but it really is. And, and that doesn't even mention, Nick, that I thought there were a couple calls that if the jerseys were flipped, I'd be raving mad about them there were a couple of these incidental uh, like incidental downfield or incidental contact penalties that got thrown where i was like he didn't do anything in particular a third down play that really stuck out to me where tyler scott looked like he just stumbled in the middle of his route and they flagged him for it (laughs) and then the tanyan defensive pass interference that they called on a ball that was strictly speaking uncatchable like There were a bunch of plays. Even, even, even the Cole Komet one. Cole Komet's just clearing out 
Right. And they had defensive holding. The only, and yeah, and one of my buddies is a really good Lions fan. We were texting back and forth, and he's like, these are soft. I'm like, I'd have been livid. I'd have been livid. There's only one call I would say that was severely against Chicago, and that was on a fumble that didn't happen where Lucas Patrick gets depleted, which is illegal now (laughs) and injured. And can't even return okay, to but, the game. But tell me that there wasn't a piece of you that was happy to see it anyways. No, like, no, no. I know, I know I've been negative about Lucas Patrick, but like <laughs> as someone that coaches, like injuries are just the worst. I injuries don't believe you. I don't know. No, if I, he no. hadn't been hurt, you'd have been laughing. But he did. No, get I hurt. mean, if they just replaced him because of how how well he plays on the field or how poorly he plays on the field, I'd be okay with it. But no, no injuries. But but then we saw Feeney can't even figure out the snap count and how oh many little goodness. delay of games and messed oh up they have. They looked like they just signed him. I mean, he, yeah. he looked brand new to the team. And I would have actually cut him all a slack if he was brand new to the team. But I got, I got bad news for you. Not only has he been there the whole time, the whole time, you don't need to count. He's been there the entire season. Like 10 weeks is plenty. And they traded a sixth round pick for him. And he yep. accounts for more than likely two delay of games, one or a third that they pick up a timeout, and then a false start on account for that in in what ends up being part of what bogs down the Bears early. Now, there's a lot of scheme, what the Bears were doing, how the Lions adjusted that we could get into, because kudos to Aaron Glenn, despite the Bears having a lot go right for them in this game, I thought the Lions actually adjusted off of their early script really well, because they were getting pantsed early on by the Bears. Like, let's, as we just sort of move, move through this game, what did you think of Fields? Because I thought after... After I've been whining nearly all season about how Fields looks more than anything slow, even with the ball in his hands, suddenly we saw Fields stepping up in the pocket. We saw Fields get the ball out in the face of the blitz. He went the first three and a half quarters without a sack to his name. Despite plenty of dropbacks, he made he made things work with his feet. I'm not going to use the word magic. It gets abused in these kinds of uh, conversations. But like Fields runs for 100 yards, throws for a very efficient 160 at the time. I really don't have much to complain about from Justin Fields, because at least within the structure of what Fields is realistically going to do for you on offense, this was it. This was really, like, this is everything you'd want. Mm-hmm. The the number one thing I would say is he looked composed. Like, he looked like he was, the, the Minnesota game looked like he wasn't in control of that game. But this this game, he looked, he was in control. You know, early in the game, we talked about, the, or you had mentioned the, the adjustments uh, Detroit made after that drive, but they were going east and west and, you know, mm-hmm. really getting them going horizontally. And then they attacked them vertically. It was a really good game plan to start with. But even after that, he's like, okay, I'll keep the ball and I'll run. And he was smart about it. Mm-hmm. I think there were a couple of them that maybe he could have got a flag on because it's like, ah, there's a little extra. Um, and Fields was not happy about it. But no. uh, I did think that some of the passes didn't come out clean. Did you right. notice that? Like they weren't tight spirals. He's not a great tight spiral guy all the time anyway, but I thought some of them did get affected by the thumb. Oh, sure. But especially with how hard I've been on fields. Look, I'm a media member. I'm not a coach, right? I, I get how this game works. And so on a game like this, where plenty of people who didn't watch the game are going to see that last play of the game where fields get or like gives up a strip sack and they're going to point and say, see, still not enough. No, I'm not going to I'm not going to put up with that. This week, like especially on first watch through fields was plenty and he's playing hurt because like you're saying, 
you could tell that he that he still had issues that he was working through. And, well, and, yet, and, and the other finger, I'm not, you know, and the other, the middle one was mm-hmm. bleeding. Right. And so I can't help but look at this game and think to myself that, like, you've got a quarterback that battled through. I don't want to call it adversity. If anything, he was kind of gifted a whole bunch of chances. Nothing wrong with that. Plenty of quarterbacks every single week in the NFL get gifted a lot of chances, and they do plenty with it. I thought that that Fields throw to DJ Moore should have been a dagger. I also thought that Fields was accurate enough on that throw to Tyler Scott. I think if Scott catches that ball, it's the jugular. Let alone, not only does he probably score, but worst case scenario, he trips over himself reaching for it and then eats it and the Bears kick to go up nine and the game is over all the same. I mean, it'd be the only highlight anybody would show. And so, and then, and then, and then how, how clutches would a play like that be Robert? Like every, you know, we, we, we want an elite quarterback. We want a guy that's going to do this and that. And he did it. And the receiver slowed down a little bit, not sure he was going to get thrown his way. And that's it because that would been, that would have been the, the crowning moment of, Oh, maybe the conversation shouldn't be fields versus one of these young quarterbacks. It should be fields. Cause he did it. Oh, on the clock eating drive that the bears had, I thought fields made a couple of huge plays with his feet and arm again, mm-hmm. no sacks for a guy with a six or a 13% sack percentage coming into the game and a career sack percentage, well over 10%. The fact that fields was able to stay out of trouble was massive for this offense. And it kept the ball rolling downhill. And there's two other guys I want to talk about, Nick, because they deserve Every mention that we can give them. And it's it's kind of the whole offensive line, but in particular, Darnell Wright and Braxton Jones were phenomenal. If mm-hmm. you were looking for an argument to say the Bears have their tackles, I thought the offensive line was awesome. And even, yes, I get it. The last play of the game happened. Right. But keeping Aiden Hutchinson in check like that, largely by yourself for an entire game as a rookie, was awesome in my opinion. And I am very, very upbeat about the way a lot of the offensive line played. I mean, we could do this for a lot of positions, but I want to start here first. I thought, yeah, the, well, what I, did I you think? think? Well, I think the interior had a little bit of issues and that's why they started going to a perimeter run game. Um, and they, they made some great plays. Brian Branch made some great plays against some negative uh, plays there. But yeah, I agree with that. I think the tackles give you some confidence moving forward, especially with how young they are, that when you want to project what you know, and we're already looking at the draft next year. We know there's going to be two early picks, no matter where they are. And there's a good tackle. We'll get class. there later. We'll get there. Yeah, later. I know. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, it makes me ignore that now because I know Braxton was not happy. I don't know why they took him off. Whether it was like they were checking for an injury, or it was he got in um, Alonzo's face, uh, mm-hmm. or and uh, I don't know if they weren't happy about that, and that's why the refs took him off. But either way, he he was back in, and he still played fine. Uh, and so that's, I mean, we're, we're pretty critical of Ryan Poles. He nailed two offensive tackle bookends uh, in two drafts with one first and a fifth. That is a home run. And I mean, I think DJ Moore speaks for himself. Like mm-hmm. there were, there was that phenomenal yards after catch play where DJ Moore just looked like oh my tackable, like walking God, what basically wading through the entire defense. Uh, he adds Roshan Johnson, who the moment that the Bears lost Deontay Foreman for the fourth time, apparently that was too many. Like oh De- Deontay Foreman went down with injury so many times and continued to suit back up and get through it. That sounded tongue in cheek. If anything, that sounded condescending. I don't want to do that. Deontay Foreman was a warrior. 
today. And then when he couldn't go anymore, 23 could. And that run he had where he just ran somebody over halfway through or halfway before the uh, third down marker, that was awesome. So we, we're talking about a lot of positives. You want you want to do some more? Or do you want to well, do you want to side on any of those before we do defensive stuff? Sure. So so okay, one thing I want to just the nuance of DJ Moore's touchdown where he widens uh, the corner and uh, then stacks him. I'm just like that's everything. That's cuz that, that shows you that technique matters so much more than overall athleticism. I was like, "Yes, I love that." And then th- here's the negative I have about Roshan Johnson, okay? We know when he got injured, right? What happened to him? Mhm. And then today he had two of those where he's like, I'm just going to Earl Campbell run right through you. And I'm like, what if you try to juke him, man? Like, what if you try to go around him a little bit? You know, like, it seems like he only has one thing and it's truck stick, like, all the time. I but agree. But it's I agree. They're all positive. <laughs> so, yeah. so then we move to the defense. And I'm not going to talk about the sweat thing. I don't know why he is or isn't on the field half the time. Right. But the rookies are showing out. Right. Mm-hmm. You not only do you get Tyreek Stevenson making a couple plays throughout the game, forcing the fumble, catching the interception Finally. that's thrown yeah. right to him. Um, mm-hmm. But you get Gervin Dexter, like creating legitimate pressure. One of the biggest plays of the game. And this is football, man. When people talk about like the little plays, Zach Pickens first step creates a hold, pushes the Lions back second and 18. That's the play where. Jared Goff floats a pass over the middle, trying to create something on the Lions offense and gives it away to TJ Edwards. It's set up by that huge loss of 10 yards that came from number 96. And so you look at all these positives and Nick, they lost. So so I've been building this for about 10 minutes now. Nick, why why'd they lose? You got an idea? I if okay. If I was looking at the Detroit Lions and I was like, Hmm. How, how, who would I want to guard the most? Right. It might be their best wide receiver. And like, for some reason, it didn't seem like he was bracketed. It seemed like he could run option routes no matter where he wanted to go all the time. And it's like, make anyone else beat you. Now, again, Jamison Williams did later, but like up until then, this prevent rush for, or again, they were rushing guys from so deep. It didn't even matter at one point that all these five, four, seven yard completions down the field, mainly to St. Brown and some to the running backs, move them down the field two different times. And so one, one of them bothers me, Robert, is this second quarter, kick the field goal, 10 to seven, a minute 47 on the clock. You said you didn't want to get into it, but I'm going to get into it. You don't put sweat on the field. They go down the field and sit what 75 seconds and score a touchdown. Like, at some point, you can't be prevent because you're not preventing anything. You're just allowing people to score points on you. Right. And then, the other, then the other one was that you're up 26 to 14 with 7.15 left. No sweat. They drive down and score. And then we know what happened. It was interior run, interior run, you know, no Tyler Scott. And then they drive down the same thing. Like, you're not preventing anything, Flus. Yep. Oh, if you're waiting for me, I'll go to town. Because I know, I know, I know you will, but like for me, like we were making so much progress and we we're showing it, but you can't be so passive in the zones. Like I'm okay if they went to that intermediate level over the linebackers to try and force some completions, like make it hard. They didn't make it difficult at all for golf. It oh, was sure. like, oh, boom, 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 boom. Schematically. I mean, that's, that is what the bears do though. 
Like, and it's what they had been doing that would have been working the entire game for the most part. Because I didn't see them do like a drop three pre-event. They just played a ton of spot drop and the Lions yep. were ready for it. It was yep. nothing out of the ordinary. They even blitzed a couple times for crying out loud. And so to me, what I think sticks out in this game, you'll see Howie Long, you'll see Jimmy Johnson, you'll see all these different analysts on Fox, on NBC, when they cut to that like big group of dudes panel, basically, they will whine about the word analytics. They'll act like it's a disease within the sport. Mm. Matt Eberflus <clears throat> made not one, not two in my opinion, but three damning high leverage decisions that cost the Bears the game. And this is why people within the analytics community have been whining about defensive style head coach thinking from 2006. Wonder what Matt Eberflus thinks like for so long. Let's go through them, Nick. So the Bears Good. score. Huge touchdown. I'm sitting here tweeting about it. The, the big throw to DJ Moore puts them up five points and, and a fairly convincing five points at that. At least it feels like it at the time because the Lions cannot get out of their own way. Right. And so I assumed the Bears would go for two because that is just the gimme thing to do in this setting for crying out loud. Like it's obvious. It's it's obvious. Being up five doesn't help or being up six doesn't help you. Being up five is the same, more or less. Go take two. And so they they don't. They pass on that. All right. So then later in the game, the Bears are now up six. Obviously, we know they run the ball, short yardage run uh, to push the ball up on like third and one and a half. I think they may have tush pushed. They get stopped. OK, so it's fourth. And I, inches. Did, I thought that was a bad spot. Do you think it was a bad spot? I don't care. Uh, and that's not me trying to <laughs> that's not me trying to take it away from you. It's more me thinking as a coach that sometimes I know you get, sometimes you get a good job by the spot. And so <laughs> like you are you're at the behest of what the ref tells you the ball is doing. Right. Oh, hey, keep cooking, man. You're cooking. Go ahead. Fourth and inches. You know you could get this. Nobody doesn't get this off the tush push in the in the year of this league right now. But whatever, you decide that you're going to kick the ball. And uh, you're going to take six and go up nine, right? Which is a perfectly defensible position. Takes it from a one-score game to a two-score game. If I was coaching, this is one I probably would have made. But it compounds with the fact that we have already decided not to go for two. Because if we had gone for two and gotten it, now this kick puts you up ten. It gets you already to the point where a field goal and a touchdown don't beat you. We'll get there later. Because then, later in the game, after this massive clock-killing drive, Bears are, what, fourth and one again? And so uh, they decide they're going to kick it to go up 12. Because oh, I'm sorry, up, that one, yes. Up 12, they're protected against the Lions winning off a field goal, which they would have been protected by had they gone for two. Instead, they feel the need to kick to go up 12, and so dies their last neutral possession with the football. Because the moment they get it after that, they're in full clock protection mode. It's outrageously frustrating looking at that situation because you knew what they were going to do. It's a defensive head coach. He's going to tell Luke Getze, now nah, you can't run it wide. You can't throw the ball. You get two runs up the middle, whatever your favorite ones are, and then you could do whatever you want on third down. That's exactly what the Bears do. It opens. This is all I'm saying. Those decisions opened the door for the Lions to walk through to a win. You could have closed it. You yeah. didn't. And then when disaster strikes, in my opinion, sure, if we wanted to blame the defensive calls, we can. If we wanted to blame the defenders, we can. But you gave the Lions a life rope or like what? A lifeline. They took mm -hmm. it. And you have nobody to blame for it yourself, in my yeah. opinion.
Yeah. So let me ask you a simple question. Yes. When you get the defense to jump off sides, how many yards do you get? Five. Five. Okay. Both of those calls you're talking about, fourth and five was the second one to go up 12. Fourth and one was the other one to go to go up whatever, nine. Now, it was at the 23 was the fourth and one, and then they were down to the 21 for the fourth and five, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, this is, again, super elementary, but I, all the time, okay, coaching, whether I'm OC, whether I'm on staff talking to the, you know, whoever calls plays, we get into these situations anytime it's like third down, fourth down. And like, that's the distance. I'm like, Hey, get him to jump off sides. And, and you always get the push like, that's stupid. We'll jump off sides, you know, like all those things. But then, you know, finally like, fine, we'll try it. You know how many times it works? Even if it works 10% of the time, that's 10% of the time for free. <laughs> right. So, so, so let's, let's say it didn't work either time. Okay. Santos then has a 44 yarder and then he has a, 45 yard field goal. Those both seem in his range if you just got delay of games. Santos. Or, or Santos risk, needs a mention of his own. Dude drilled yeah, a 53 yeah, yeah, yeah. yarder like it was like it was a 35 yarder. Right. Keep going. You're on a roll. But, right. Yeah. So like those, like those are still good, right? And again, obviously the closer the, the higher range. But what if you just went up there to tush push on the fourth and one and you hard counted it? Uh that's probably oh, one of those times when they're really gonna jump, okay? Free first down. It's a different ball game. You didn't even try it. There's no way that wouldn't work either because these defensive players are having to tune up to stop the tush push, which is it feels fundamentally impossible. So, man, if you walked up the first or the second time, because the Bears haven't done this. They haven't done it all season. And you just walked up with fields and you hard counted it the first time. I bet you it's a coin flip chance. You'd catch somebody jumping off sides. Like, and and, and, and there, there's a no lose here that you fall start. Cool. Kick the field goal. Delay a game. Cool. Kick the field goal. Or you get him to jump off sides and you get a fresh set of downs to work clock. Maybe score a touchdown and win the game. Like that's another decision that they don't make either. They're just like, nah, conservative. I mean, even, even the one was... Um, you know, like, like, cool. We'll just keep running the ball no matter what. Like it was the, the, the run before, okay. It was third and seven at the 23 and it was a run up the middle, run up the middle by Roshan Johnson for two right. yards. It was third and 11 actually, uh, which I'm only correcting you on because it was worse to your point, which, well, I was, I'm looking at the one to go up 12. Uh, yeah, I think it is. I think, no, no, that one was earlier in the game. So you're right. Yeah. Third, either third way, and seven, like, third and seven, they go, they run conservatively and Roshan just grinds out six yards. Yeah. Like it's just, it's just, it's conservative all the way around. And like, this is what you get when you're conservative. Now you can be too risky and I get that. And there's, there's certain times, but you can't tell me you go for it on fourth and one against Denver and don't get it. And now you go so conservative here where you lose the damn game. Like there has to be a middle ground where you're smartly aggressive. And to me, the worst part about this. So like, everybody talks about momentum and I've always been obsessed with trying to figure out another way to use the word momentum. Like how do we, how do we say what momentum is, but like we don't use the word momentum, right? Because I grew up, my mom was always adamant. She was like, momentum isn't real. Stop lying to yourself. Right. But it, the problem is, is that when you're on a team like Matt Eberflus, like uh, when, when you're on a team like this, Matt Eberflus bears team, you believe it. I mean, you've been through the Denver game. You've been through what Washington almost was, right? So as the game starts turning against the Bears, as Tyler Scott 
doesn't uh, run that ball down, you could almost feel the defense know what was coming. And I mean, goodness, I don't think the Lions had an easier drive in the game. They cut through the Bears defense with the game on the line like a hot knife through butter. And it was it was gross. I mean, that's to me, that's Matt Eberflus's legacy. Like, I understand that I'm hard on the guy, but that's the legacy that when the game is on the line, Ben Johnson was ultimately able to pull a rabbit out of his hat with Dan Campbell. And you're the one holding the bag like that. That sucks. Yeah, and it's and I mean they have to feel like they stole one. Like they played like the, their worst game that they could play, and they stole they stole a game from Chicago. And at some point, like like we're talking about with the coaching. I mean, like you have to be so bad to lose games like this. I mean, right here, you're you're two times the time of possession, Robert. So you're beating up their defense, right? Which means that we should be gaining more yards rushing than we were. Because it was it wasn't even good, honestly. We weren't efficient, and then we're plus three in the turnover margin, and we have the same amount of yards. If I told you that before the game, we're plus three in turnovers, we have twice the time possession, the same amount of yards, you would be like, "Oh yeah, we won the game," but we didn't. We and didn't. We, and like, I mean, we covered, you know, and whatever, and we could talk about whether, you know, remember my whole thing about like rest and you know whatever, like made they help. sure looked fresher. But like this, this is like just such a joke of a game because coaches put them in bad positions. I mean, also this, how many times were there like negative six, negative five yard plays to start drives? And it's like, okay, that drive's gone. Like the Tyler Scott fumble, it was a negative two yard run by fields, a false start, and then a completion Tyler Scott fumbles. It's like, we had so many negative plays too, that messed up this, you know, like not being even more successful in drives early in this game. And that's where I actually want to kudo Aaron Glenn, because what the Bears were doing, at least it seemed like to start, was they were trying to get wide with their running game. They were trying to use a whole lot of read option. Mm -hmm. And the Lions seemed to adapt to that by just sending a blitzer on a lot of early downs to basically try and jump on fields before he'd figured out a blitzer was coming with a lot of these mesh points. And they created a bunch of TFLs. Like, and then when it, when it wasn't going to be that, when it was a pitch action, the blitzer could just go pick up the run, the runner. And all of a sudden you had a huge TFL to start. And if there was a criticism, I guess that we could pass along to the bears offense, it's that they still did not react to these like long down scenarios outstandingly well. Penalties sure helped them dig out of a couple of these situations, but also Fields had a couple nice long runs, especially on the clock killing drive uh, where he had that one scramble where he just raced up the sidelines for a bunch of yards and early on where it seemed like the Lions just forgot to QB spy him. And so he ran around everybody and he looked great doing it. I mean, it was it was funny watching the offense because, in my opinion, it still didn't look like a let's call it truly complete offense, but it was good enough on this day, I thought. To beat the Lions, not only should 26 points win you the game in the first place, but man, Nick, Aaron Glenn's adjustments kept kept all the points off the board when the Bears picked up those two interceptions. And you know, you know, even just three of those could have changed the game, right? Oh, my gosh. Like, I mean, they, they scored a touchdown off of, you know, the turnover by Tyler Scott. And, and we had... Very little points. Like that's, that's so, I mean, that's the momentum thing you're talking about. Like you get the turnover and then it's like, if you get the touchdown, it's just like, wham, like, Boom. like Chicago, we're down at the half and we completely outplayed them. And that's the momentum factor. Like it mm -hmm. could have been the other way. And like, we're talking about this, like we ran the ball 
And I don't know. I mean, I'd have to calculate this real quickly, but I mean, we were so inefficient running the ball, Robert, and we were still up. I know some of it was like clock killing, whatever, but like fields had the, do you remember in the, uh, the Denver game when he's like running around the guys there on the boot and he's messing with him. And then he finds Herbert for a touchdown Oh yeah. or he's rolling out buying time, buying time, buying time, and then finds commit for a touchdown. Like he's just at that next level where he's like, I, no one can mess with me. Like I, I'm just right. toying with everybody. That's what it felt like early in this game. And I'm like, why not just let fields eat and throw more and like, you know, still even be on the edge. And it feels like we got away from that. I don't know. I don't know what the answers are there. Cause I guess I'm a believer that eventually you do have to win the game from the pocket. Right. But that said, all the movement stuff the bears were doing early had the whole lions defense in fits, right? The main thing the lions seemed to counter it with was pushing everybody up on the line of scrimmage. Like the blitzers we talked about. Absolutely. But they went from having what six guys on the line of scrimmage to having closer to eight where they'd have some DBs out wide. What? 15, 12. How many guys they have on the line of scrimmage? Sure felt that way. 22. (laughs) Robert, Robert, how many yards per carry do you think our running backs had today? Uh, So the running backs, if I had to guess, so all I know is that the Bears rushed 44 times for 183 yards. Fields rushed for 104. So I'm trying to do back of the napkin math on a decent guess here. I mean, I guess it's about two and a half yards a carry. 2.8 2.8 yards per carry. Man. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and, and and Roshan was six for 30. So, and he had that, that 14 yarder. That was nice. I mean, Herbert was 16 for 35. Herbert was not good. Uh, and it Foreman felt, was six for 14. It felt like the bears were, they, the lions looked as if they had picked up on some kind of tell when, to, or when Khalil Herbert was in the game, because far be it from me to assume that the Bears play calls were getting basically red, but Khalil Herbert could not touch the ball without somebody on him immediately. And so I don't know what that means about the Bears usage, but not a great day from him. Not that he was set up well. Yeah. And that's, but that's the thing is like, that's another part of coaching where it's like, I know we're trying to kill clock, but you don't have to just run the ball to kill clock. Like, I mean, you know, let's talk about the lines in a different sense. One of my favorite games of the year last year was when Detroit knocked Green Bay out of the playoffs the last game of the year and Detroit had nothing to play for, right? right. And I don't know if you remember late in that game, that they awesome. they were throwing. Remember they had that like hook and ladder and like they kept throwing to extend the drive and eventually then that was it and then they could kneel it out. And, and this is like one of those times where it's like, if you're going to load the box, just simple math, Robert, what do you do? There's eight guys in the box. What do you do? I mean, I throw the ball. You, you got DJ Moore. You got DJ Moore versus whoever. None of those DBs are good. We talked about that on the pregame pod. Or even Mooney against whomever. Like Brian Branch is good, but he was down in the box. He's ready to mess some stuff up. Like like we we should have thrown more, even if it's an sure. easy out, a but comeback. Like, something. That's that's not really what Fields and this whole scheme is. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I agree with you. I love spread coast, west coast, west coast, best coast, baby. Like. These games that we saw, like a certain somebody yesterday having 44 dropbacks against UCLA, that's fun. I love that, even when it doesn't work. I love, like, extension of the run game, all kinds of throwing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But even when we envision this offense in the offseason, this was much closer to what we thought it would look like, right? Where Fields is going to touch the ball 
30 to 35 times, but he's going to run it on probably 8 to 12 totes, right? Like, I also would have loved to throw the ball more. Don't get me wrong, but the Bears didn't attempt any quick screens at the line of scrimmage. They didn't really attempt a major amount of... Did they attempt one? Yeah, the, the DJ Moore had that one, and he yes. got like four or five on it. You're right. More to but say, though, more. It's, it's really more me trying to lean into the idea that, like, the Bears seemed like they did a really pretty good job of identifying what Justin Fields is comfortable with, and they cut out a lot of the stuff that he's not comfortable with. I don't want to turn this into anything negative about Fields. If anything, Nick, am I allowed to say, I think he likes the plan they ran. I don't think Fields, if he was sitting on this podcast, would tell us that, yeah, we should have thrown the ball more. You know what I'm saying? I think Fields would have said, well, we just got to, he actually said, I know this much, that he said, we need to execute better, to be honest. Uh, Quote, if I'm being real, we should have won that game. It comes down to finishing and executing in the end. That's how you do it. And obviously, there are plenty of plays that stick out. I think Jalen Johnson has to still be staring at his hands visualizing what it would have been like to run that ball back 99 yards the other way or early or later in the game, catch the ball that came off the tip, right? Because he had two shots at an interception and comes away with well, no interception. Well, he he had a bad game. If we're being honest, Jalen Johnson had a bad game. He had those two plays that were could have been positives, but then he had the deep PI because he bit on the double move and was too physical. That was mm-hmm. a 40-some yard play that flipped the field in the first half. And then he then he gave up the touchdown to, to Williams, right? Right. I mean, which which if you're in prevent, where, where's the help over the top? If you're were they put in over prevent the top, or were they in cover four? Like, I didn't get a good look at that one because my son kind of is exploded. There, is there is there a difference sometimes? You know, no. But it's more to say that when because Jameson Williams were in a post, right? Again, I, didn't get a good look at it. Yeah, so I, I'm really I didn't either. That's why. I, but I, I thought it was on uh, Johnson's side. Uh, if it if it was if it stayed on Johnson's side, that's one thing. But I know a post on the outside, like outside breaking in, is right. like a classic cover four beater. And generally, yeah. there's like there's like maybe ten corners that can keep up with that. Yeah, and that's true. That's JJ's that's not, not his strength. I'll, I'll give him that. But I but I still don't think he had a great game. No, I'm not trying to con you into telling me that you thought yeah, JJ yeah. played great. <laughs> but yeah. it's especially because to me. I understand that the the big joke is that everybody plays defense uh, or like everybody that plays defense played offense, but then, you know, had to get moved because of their hands. But that third pick on Goff running that ball back, the game would have been over. No more air. And yep. I, I don't know. To me, the, the hard part is, is that like I could sit here and I could talk about missed opportunities because it's unfair and it would be very Bears podcast to just lay this all at the feet of Matt Eberflus and be like, everybody was great. The Bears, the Bears rule. The coach sucks. Get a new coach and everything's good. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. But I do think that the coach has to own the majority of this loss, and in my opinion, the fa- especially the fact that you already had the Denver loss happen this season, and you let this happen in a division rival's house, up four to one in the turnover battle, up twenty six to fourteen with less than five minutes remaining in the game, with your job on the line. I think this one was inexcusable. I think the if there's any good news. To be had, it is that in my opinion, Matt Eberflus showed everybody irrefutably that he ain't it. And you and I 
could sit here, we could watch the tape, and we could whine that Matt Eberflus ain't it. But a lot of times in Bears history, that has not, two guys on a podcast has not been enough. This loss, I really don't know how you come back from this. I really no. don't. No, and I, I think it's, at this point, it's dumb because, like, this could have been this could have been flipping everything, right? Like you talked about, like you put this win, you stack some more things together. It's your first winning streak. You could sell that story to whomever you want, but now you can't do that because now it's now it's almost Robert. Where again, I'm looking down at the the records, like you almost want to lose now, and we know Flus doesn't want to lose. Am I bringing you, know you I mean? over? Am I finally coming through? Well, I'm there now. I'm there now. But like, I mean. Are they going to fire him before the season's over? Is the next because he's got to be gone. He has to be gone because you're not nothing you've done have shown that you're the answer at this point. So do they fire him before the season's over? My gut tells me they do. I I don't know. I think that they'd they'd have to lose another backbreaker. Like as long as they roll out on Monday Night Football and they lose like a normal game uh, in a normal way, I tend to think that they'll be all right. And again, what gets really crazy is, is it possible for this Matt Eberflus defense? Because, hey, credit where credit's due. I have made, I have talked a lot of mess about how much I hate this defensive scheme. The players are making this thing work anyways. Like, the players are kind of gaming, especially when they're able to get pressure like they have. If you told me that all this hype regarding Josh Dobbs and the Pastronaut was going to fall kind of flat, in Minneapolis on Monday Night Football after weeks of tape to get prepped for it. Would you find that unbelievable? I would find that very believable. That would be very normal, as a matter of fact, with, for a hot quarterback, like for his hot streak to end about three or four weeks after it started. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And so, well, yeah, I mean, I, I would, yeah, I consider that for sure. So I could easily see that game because everybody, every time we lose a game, like every time we win a game, no matter how ugly it is, everybody goes, well, I think the Bears are going to win this next game. And every time we lose a game, no matter how ugly it, or like no matter how good parts of it were, we assume the Bears are going to get blown out. I think that the Monday Night Football game coming up could easily just be a knockdown drag out war between both sides. But this team is just not showing the backbone you need to win. I can't believe I'm quoting Dan Wiederer. I can't believe I'm quoting Dan Wiederer. But yeah, this team doesn't know how to win. They're really good at losing. They're They're, really good at losing. And I have have another coaching scenario for you that I wrote down that I, we didn't bring up. That I debated. Because at the end of the game, you are winning. They have to score a touchdown, right? I mean, I think that's how, how the score would be, right? They had to score a touchdown to go up. Um, or could they have kicked a field goal? The Lions? Yeah. They had to score. Oh, no, I forgot about the safety. Yeah, so they had to score a touchdown. Okay. They get it down to the one. They have no timeouts left. None. It's first down. Well, they got a bonus timeout from Matt Eberflus. Don't That's forget about that. About. That's what I'm going to ask you about. Would you have called a timeout? Because I wouldn't have, because if you call the timeout, it allows them to run the football. If you don't, then they either have to spike it and run, or they have to do that quick, or they have to throw, which I like our odds better by not calling the timeout and letting the clock go down. So I would have had to pre-planned this. Like, I have to think through it, right? In the moment, I probably wouldn't have called a timeout. You know what I'm saying? But also, in the moment, I I would have, or not in the moment, getting away from the moment, I would have hoped that I would have tried to ice golf on a big down earlier in the game. Like, let them line up, let them get a motion moving, and then call the timeout. 
just to try to kind of get them off their rhythm, right? Have them yes. holding their hands up going, what? What? Are you kidding me? And then we yep. can regather the defense. We can take a look at the look that they just presented us and move on. Maybe yep. we get a stop. Maybe we don't, right? Mm-hmm. But at the very least, I would have started trying to conserve more time sooner because the way that you let the Bears or that the Bears let them bleed the clock down slowly but surely, pretty much like they set their head on a platter the, you, you, uh, as that was happening. I mean, you remember the um, the Marshawn Lynch they they threw Super Bowl, right? The Patriots, like yep. that whole thing. Yep. So I remember Belichick talking about it. he could have called a timeout because they were in the side the ten. They could have tried to conserve time. And he said he didn't call it because they looked a little frazzled. And then you want them to organize and get it and, and exactly. run and do all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying I would have let I would not have called the timeout. I would have let him if the they, way. Oh, I agree with you. Like I'm trying to say if I wanted to conserve time, I would have started doing it sooner. No, I know. Right. If if you were Matt Eberflus, though, you were past the point of no return. You had to make them organize so that they were either going to spike it for you and blow it down. Or that they were going to just try to quick snap it. That costs a lot of pre-snap penalties in games like this. Or maybe, just maybe, they run a play thinking they're going to get in. You get a stop, and they just plumb run out of time. Like, right. the 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 way that they did it made it way, way too easy well, for, like, for what to try. Like, in my game. mind, if you, if you call that timeout, then they think you're going to call timeout every time after that down, so they can just run it three straight times. I'm like, this is idiotic. Like, make it make of? sense. What would you be scared of, right? And no, nothing. Now, do you want to keep talking about this game, or do you want to pivot to the positives? The the positives I, okay, beyond I, the game. I got, I got no one positive about the game. Good. Okay, and this is for my boy. Okay, if people are watching this, I know we got our live stream going too, but you know, Justin Fields, he had 105 quarterback rating. He had one pass that could have maybe gotten intercepted, was questionable. He threw balls away when it was smart to throw them away. He made plays. He ran for over 100 yards, which, by the way, he's done that three straight times against the Lions. And what more could you have wanted from Justin Fields today? Is there anything, Robert? Well, that's the thing, right? Because I'm, I promise, I promise I'm not trying to be somebody that just doesn't know what's good for him, right? If I could have begged for anything from Justin Fields, it would have been scoring more on the drives where the Bears like had caught the turnovers. But I would argue that that is an entire offensive game plan identitarian question, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not I can't think of plays off the top of my head. Maybe film review will show something different, but I can't think of a bunch of plays where the quarterback didn't get it, right? Where the quarterback screwed it up. And so maybe there's a piece to, th- I, I think the compl- I think the conversation, honestly, Nick, is just way more complicated than we could make it. But on a game like today, I thought he did plenty. Sometimes in the NFL, even Tommy DeVito can win you a game. And yeah, well, so- it- That happened. But, but I'm just saying for like being off for an entire month, and coming oh, back yeah. and not being 100%, like, this is about the best. I mean, yeah, I mean, if Scott would have caught that one, that would have been great. If you would have connected with more on that deep one earlier, I mean, there's there's a few things. Obviously, that would be, like, the perfect game. But I'm saying, just, I mean, a realistic lens. Nick, you're not going to believe this. You're what? not going to believe this. Matt Eberflus blamed the players blatantly. 
Like Matt, Matt Eberflus uh, specifically said, like he, he said something to the effect of if certain guys had made more plays, they would have won. And then said Sanborn and Johnson were guys that didn't make plays last week. And I am pretty blown away at the idea that the coach couldn't at least take this moment to point the thumb. Like there's coaching one-on-one. Okay. I'm a coach, right? I mean, coaching one-on-one Robert says who take, who gets the blame for the losses, Robert, the coach, who gets the credit for the wins, the players, obviously everyone knows this. What are you doing now? When you're a quarterback, who gets blamed for the loss quarterback and who gets credit for the win? My linemen, the receivers, defense. This isn't hard, right? No, <laughs> like, no, not hard. <laughs> just, just point the thumb. I'm, I am not somebody who's sitting here talking about being a thumb pointer because I care about it. It's more like it's a deviation from what is the accepted norm. Does that make sense? Big nerd talk, but it's more to say everybody does this a certain way, except for these guys. <laughs> All right. All right. So we're moving on from Matt. Let's talk about, you want to talk about the draft order? That's where you're leaning? I want to talk about what an exceptional day it was for the Bears draft position. Because not not Chicago explicitly, but the New York Giants trot out Tommy DeVito and win a game. And suddenly the biggest threat in the NFL to move to, or to stick with two wins the entire time reminds us uh, these coaches just don't tank. Like everybody I heard from people that are like connected within football. I heard like people trying to say, look, I don't know anything, but the Giants, they're blatantly tanking. No, they aren't. None of these orgs are. None of these orgs are. And on that day, the Panthers could not beat the Dallas Cowboys. Unsurprising. That's a good Dallas team. But the Washington Commanders gave away another stinker in their house. If I was a Washington fan, I'd be really frustrated. I'm not. I'm excited. What do yes. you think? Yeah. Well, I want to know, at what point did you go to tankathon.com and look at the draft order? I haven't yet. Yeah. I have a rough idea. Oh, what it is. I'm not trying to don't bum you out. But like, oh. my big thing is that I'm trying to stay off of it as much as I can until the season kind of resolves itself. That Giants-Patriots yep. game looms large. But look, yep. okay, hang on. I should talk about this. Anybody who's listening to this podcast right now and thinks, what are these losers doing talking about draft position? I get it. But in my opinion, there were always two different ways for this season to play out. One way was for Matt Eberflus to show that he's that guy. He's going to lead the Bears into the future alongside Justin Fields, who's also that guy. And they're going to lead the the team into the future. To be honest with you, Nick, I did not expect the majority of this roster to look as decent as it does. The roster seems like they are performing really pretty well. The offensive line's better than I expected. I mean, that really is. And and so then as we move past that, right, it's like the other option, given that the season's not working out the way that anybody wanted it to, they're three and 18, is for pretty much the whole team to bottom out and you still get development. You get, you basically look for a John Fox effect, but the coach goes and gets himself fired and the rest of like, you get a number one overall pick if possible, ideally a number two pick just to give yourself options. If Justin doesn't finish the season well, great. If Justin does, great. You're insured, right? Mm -hmm. And today, if you wanted to keep yourself in the bottom out plan, well, this was a great day of results for it. I mean, an almost unbelievable day of results for it because, Nick, I really don't know. I want to repeat it. I really don't know how Matt Eberflus comes back from this one. Like, well, 
Or if we're possible. talking about bottoming out and we're talking about, you know, high draft position, maybe you want him to continue to coach the team through the rest of the season because he's going to lose games. I mean, you talked about it. When Tommy DeVito can be the quarterback, and again, this we're not trying to make fun of him, but like he's not close to an NFL starter, okay? When he wins a football game, and Chicago can't win games when you went are plus three in the turnover margin. Like that is so damning. Like it, it's it's so. But anyways, do you know how many sacks Tommy DeVito took today? Ooh, it was five in the first half. I saw. Yeah. Do you, do you know how many he finished with in a no. win? He finished no. with nine sacks <laughs> in a win. And oh. I mean, kudos to Wink Martindale, man. That defense came to play. They oh. made things like. I, in my well, opinion, well, hey, Wink Martindale, shout out by the way. Mm-hmm. I'm a mater, he coached there, Western Kentucky. That's awesome. I, I just keep man. looking at this Giants team, for instance, and I think one of the most frustrating things, if you're a if you're a Bears fan that knows what's going on in the rest of the league, it has to be outstandingly frustrating that this this crappy Giants team, who just look awful in most of their, I think it's seven losses to this point, they have just looked woeful. Right. Mm-hmm. And you add you add on that staff one really good lineman. And that's not even Kayvon Thibodeau. In this case, that's Dexter Lawrence. And you add an aggressive, blitzing defensive mind that wants to take your lunch money away. Right. And you add an offensive coach that, hey, the Giants offense has not been spectacular, but they don't have anybody on there. They've got one of the worst offensive lines in football. They've got nearly no receivers to speak of. Their best receiving option is Darren Waller. And they have the same amount of wins as the Bears, who have DJ Moore, <laughs> who have $120 million worth of spending on their defense. Like, I mean, do you need me to go down the whole laundry list? Because no. I'm I'm not trying to make out Brian Dable to be this amazing coach. This is not that moment. Live in a world of gray. But it is frustrating watching a Bears team, I think, is objectively more talented and has played objectively more talented that we can't get as many wins as a Giants team that's played a much tougher schedule. That's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And and you also look at like today. I mean, we're not always going to have obviously be plus three in the turnover margin and be basically plus two in the time and possession margin. But like, let's say a, an average team, we play them. This just shows you like how talented Chicago is that they should win quite a few of these games. Like they when you're in you, it. They were yeah. in it, man. And, and how many how many teams are in it with Detroit? Not many. Detroit's been kicking. They were on top so of it much. even. Detroit yep. wasn't in it. Like, no. Detroit wasn't in it until five minutes to go in the game, for crying out loud. That cake had said enough. Do you realize ESPN gave them a 98% chance to win this game? And it slipped through their fingers. Like, I mean, we could say whatever we wanted to about this game by... All definition of the way that I evaluate film, because the overwhelming majority of the time, as soon as it hits 95% win percentage, I just stop watching. I really don't want to train my eyes off garbage time, right? Right. I would have stopped watching this game by that rule, and they lost. I mean, it's a furious comeback that I guess you could say speaks to the metal of the Detroit Lions. They're a talented bunch, and I thought they were flat today. So kudos to them for finding a way to win. But Mm. man, as a Bears fan, you can't lose this game. And, and we could keep talking about it. We could go around and around and around the circle and keep talking about it. But to me, I almost feel like, Nick, this one doesn't – it doesn't really drive the nail home. On this podcast, we already drove the nail home. This one just probably does it in the mind of Ryan Poles. 
Because yes. after after weeks, after an entire mini buy of fluff articles leading into the Panthers game and nice comments and Ryan Poles in passion defense, how do you lose this one? Right? Mm-hmm. Well, but I think right there just tells you a little bit like the Bears show that they're competitive today. And we talked about like we like a lot of these young players and line, especially the tackles. I mean, the guards too have had some really good good points in this season. It shows you what Ryan Poles has put together from almost all bare bones of a roster, like just terrible dead cap, et cetera. And he's putting all this together and it's the coach's job to develop, put the plan together to use their strengths, to do it on the field. And if they're not doing that, bring someone else in. I don't think that the turnaround for this, when you look at the cap space that we have and the draft picks that they're going to be high right now, they're, they're one and four, by the way, everybody. So they're they're They have the worst, or the easiest strength of schedule in terms of all of the three-win teams. So they jumped ahead of the Giants now, so it's the fourth pick. You put all that together, Robert, I think the Bears could be pretty good next year, no matter whatever they decide at quarterback. I'm not going to get into that debate right now, but I think that this this isn't that far away, and today showed that. No, and I mean, we'll we'll have to see. There is a game coming up that actually has quite a bit of swing to it, and that is the Panthers' upcoming game against uh, Carolina. Well, that, that that's the same name against the Titans, who have not looked particularly great. But if the Titans can find a way, the Panthers might be the inside lane uh, for pick number one. At this point, I mean, God, Nick, I know I understand that it would have been easier to say this after the Bears get blown out, but I can't help but look at this game and wonder how the locker room's going to take it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if if you get beat by a team that's better than you, I almost think you brush it off. But... The worst is when you get a team, you get beat by a team that you had, you had it, and you still can't win it, and you know why. <laughs> well, I mean, it was just, the the most bearish part of this game was when you're up and and Jalen Johnson takes, he drives in the ball, drops the interception near the goal line. To, to I mean, you could say pick six it for sure, but in my mind, I'm like. Jalen's not that fast. I wonder if, like, you know, one of those guys would catch him. But either way. It was a long way. Big, big, big momentum change, right? And then the next play is a touchdown. Like, that was the most thing. Like, it could have been an interception, maybe a pick six. If not, you know, flipping the field, get some points before the half. And then the next play, they score a touchdown. Like, that's – that. I was like, oh, okay, there it is. I'm, I'm waiting for this. And then they played good in the third quarter and the start of the fourth quarter. I'm like, maybe they'll pull this off. And then, oh, no, this is who the Bears there are. Like, because like you talked about, they don't know how to win. They don't know how to win games. Like that long drive, again, a penalty helped, but to to add points, take a lot of time off the clock, didn't look like the Bears. I was like, man, look, they're converting like every third down. Like they're converting this. They're making this really hard in the lines. Like that didn't seem Bears-esque, nor did the ball Justin Fields threw to Tyler Scott that didn't get there. I was like, that doesn't, oh, yep, of course he dropped it. Because, like, if he would have caught that, it wouldn't have felt like this is the team that we've seen for the last, whatever, year and a half with Matt Eberflus. You could even argue that to some extent that's, that's like, exactly what Justin Fields' career in Chicago has looked like sometimes. Yep. Where, hey, Nick, if there is one criticism there, because I thought he hit the throw. I'm giving him, uh, like, in my mind, I'm giving him a nod for it. But we're also taking an incredibly low percentage throw on third and ten. And pretty much assuredly giving them a free timeout. Not that it matters, right? At the end of the day, that can't, that play can't be the reason. That play can't be why you lost the game. Like, right. there's too many plays in between. But well, well, I mean, why is it third and ten? Exactly. 
And so be, beyond this, let's talk about something. Obviously, everybody wants to talk about Fire and Eberflus. I would. Oh, well, I don't know if I would, because to me, he's doing a fabulous job at captaining the ship. Exactly. In the that I want him to do it. But the Buffalo Bills fired Ken Dorsey not long ago. They also fired Leslie Frazier. The Bears don't have a defensive coordinator to fire. So here's my question. What do you think it takes for Luke Getze to lose his job? I didn't actually think Luke was like the whole problem and nothing but the problem today. But all the same, somebody's got to fall on a grenade every once in a while, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Um, yeah, because you got to at some point you got to place the blame somewhere. And got to put just, it somewhere. And it's firing the- season, man. Yeah, like- it is. Well, I but, but I mean, you saw with Frank Reich taking over play calling duties. I mean, I, he's the hottest coach right now, apparently on the hot seat. Like, I mean, it would make sense, wouldn't it? Like, you got to do something. You, you, I mean, if he doesn't think his job is on the line, like he's blind to it in, in terms of Eberflus. Like, so it would make sense to do that and maybe put uh, what your quarterback coach is, the OC. Is that who you think? I, first of all, I think Matt Eberflus has known that his job is on the line since yeah. week one. Like, personal opinion, part of what's made this season so exhausting is that if us fans, fans, Nick, fans don't take but one nice play to get back on a player's, like, board, right? Like, I, I've seen people, and it's totally okay if this is you, that are, be- like, started to talk about Tyler Scott as if he's shown absolutely nothing because he had a pretty terrible game today, right? He's a rookie. It happens. It mm-hmm. would be weird if rookies didn't screw up, to be honest with you. And right. he's had plenty of other games that I thought a lot more went really well. But today was the day that he didn't catch up to Justin Fields' ball at the end, and he fumbled early. So he sucks. Cut him, is the way people <laughs> talk about it. But the coaches seemed really, really surprised by week one. The coaches seem like they've been backpedaling since day one. Of this yeah. season. It's been brutal to watch, if you ask me. And mm-hmm. so I don't I don't know what happens. If you told if you asked me based on my emotions to pick out what week it was, I would have told you the season was already over. Like I, this feels like February, doesn't it? Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was a lot of fight. I mean, that's the one thing you have to say is like, OK, they played really well against a really good team today, you know, but how? I mean, if this was them coming from behind and they got it within five points, be like, okay, man, that's a good effort, you know? But like being up and losing it, like you said, there's no coming back from this. Um, how confident are you that Ryan Poles keeps his job? Uh, I'm so indifferent, it's painful. I like Poles personally, but if you told me that you were George McCaskey, you, Nick, were George McCaskey, and you'd been in this guy's office for a while wondering, hey, you told me we were going to be decent this year. When are we going to start being decent? And you decided, because you're the man with the checkbook, that Mm -hmm. you were going to let go of Ryan Poles. I, as the analyst, would look back and I would say, well, I mean, the majority of what Poles' job was, was to reset the cap and ultimately add young talent and resources. He did it. Like, as much as it would suck, as much as I think Poles becomes Sashi Brown, like the the creator, the, yeah. the, what would you call it, the progenitor of the current, like, we're not actually that bad Cleveland Browns that exists still today. 
I think a new GM could spend his money just as easily as Ryan Poles could spend his money, and the Bears end up in the same place. It's unfair for Poles. Can I say that? But it might happen anyways, because this season's getting stinky. And when it gets, when, when you start to smell that smell, people just want a fresh slate. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I do. I know what you mean. The, the thing that the good organizations, and again, this sounds kind of obvious. They don't have turnover. Like you continually can keep building towards this one archetype of philosophy, scheme, players, Raz, you know, whatever we've talked about a lot of it, you know, and I think keeping polls at least helps make sense in terms of what you assets you already have going towards a direction versus bringing in someone else. Okay. They want to go to the three, four, and then we're flipping and you know, like it, to me, it doesn't make sense. Plus the Montez sweat trade tells me that they do want to keep polls and he's making all the decisions. So I think that polls don't, I give it about a 15% chance polls loses his job. So your fiance, not you. All right, I hang on. Let me change this metaphor to make it not so close to home because that that I just <laughs> thought of at the time. But anyways, she might be hearing this upstairs. Your wife has been on you. She's been on you about how you haven't done that kitchen remodel, right? And as soon as she finally gets the kitchen remodel, she's gonna leave you alone, right? And maybe as a show of commitment, yeah, this needs to be girlfriend. We're changing this to girlfriend, right? <laughs> maybe as a show of commitment. You're going to go and you're going to get that kitchen remodel done as a way to say, I love you. Maybe you're going to see if she means it. So there's part Mm. of me that wonders whether getting a guy like Montez Sweat, who we know can play in a 3-4. We know he can play in a 4-3. He's a great system fit, but he's also pretty system independent. Like, And he plays the most system independent position possible. You know Flus has been in these rooms saying, what do you guys expect from me from this defense? I can't play my defense without being able to create pressure on the edge. And I wonder if Ryan Poles went, Okay, okay, show me. I'm going to give you enough pieces to where you just can't whine about it anymore. And here we are. We're still losing. Game doesn't look any different from Denver, does it? Like, And so I can't help but look at that and wonder, Nick, because I agree with you that in theory, it showed that Poles and Floos, like they were absolutely on the same page and maybe they were looking at keeping him. Or... It builds the deck faster than usual that, yeah, I know we tanked last year. This season is fireable. Like, in effect, Floos becomes a one-and-done coach. So you need, a, you need a lot of proof that he can't do it. And I wonder if Montez Sweat was their way of giving themselves draft flexibility, adding a good player, and also making sure that Matt Eberflus didn't have any excuses that he could run on at the end of the year. No, and that, that, that's a good point. I mean, that's a good point because then you can't like, hey, I, I gave you the best edge that was available. You told me this would work. Right. You said gave, all we well, needed was one guy. I gave you the two linebackers that you wanted that I didn't want to spend on. You know, however you want to word this. You wanted them, not me. Yeah. You wanted him, not me. Yeah. Yeah. Why aren't we winning? Like, it, yeah. you know what I didn't think about today from the game? What? So, like, the Bears defense has played well, right? Mm-hmm. They got all the turnovers, et cetera. They allowed 29 points in 19.1936 time of possession. 29 points in 19 minutes, Robert, is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, imagine if Detroit had another 12 minutes and they had just a little edge in time possession. What, what would they have had? 
don't know. 45 points. Hey, honestly, they, they managed to find a way truly like I, I don't want to be too corny, but Jared Goff was playing bad, bad ball. And they still found a way to grind out and like enough to get this done. Overall, though, if you want to start honing in towards the edge of the show, I'm okay honing in towards the end of the show. I, I have one, one other thing. Yeah, what you got? Um, I was surprised by one thing. Now, I, it was a battle of strengths. Mm-hmm. And Chicago did not win in the trenches against the run today. They allowed 5.2 yards per rush. Did they really? Yep. I'm yep. shocked. I would have yeah. expected them to have run it for much less, given that the Detroit, Detroit didn't stick with the run like I would have expected them to. Well, I, that, I think that was game script. But, I mean, I, they, still on third and eight or third and seven, they ran the last drive to wild. get to, what was it, like third and one? I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they did that. Um, yeah, uh, Montgomery had 12 rushes for 76 yards, which is an unbelievable average. That's mm-hmm. like, what, six yards per it's carry? Like six yards per carry or something. Over six. And then Gibbs was eight for 36 which is still four and a half ish. It's plenty. Yeah. And, and golf, golf was two for three. So he's like bringing that down. I mean, they, they crushed us up front. And like we, that was one thing that we were top rush defense and they have a great old line. I get it. You know, I know this is revenge game for, you know, David Montgomery, all that kind of stuff, but I did not expect us to give up five point two. Well, actually be over 5.2. You take out golfs. I didn't expect us to give up what five and a half, six yards of carry. I'm excited to check the tape on this one because it felt like the Lions multiplicity in the run game really got to the Bears, really ground the Bears down because they kept Mm -hmm. the Bears guessing up front. Like you're talking about a lot more of these run schemes are pretty mano a mano one way or another zone runs. Ultimately, it's man on man and power runs gap runs. Oh, that's the literal idea is that it's man on man. Power. I, I couldn't help but think that Ben Johnson actually came and attacked a Bears defense that was on the up with a game plan that had his quarterback executed it, they would have kept rolling. The Bears put a lot of pressure on him, though. I mean, it took a while for the or for the Lions to find their footing in this game. And again, I think a lot of that was credit to Matt Eberflus kind of opening the door for them, but <laughs> not making that point again. That I, I look at this, I think the same thing. Like, the Bears' run defense was not amazing, but at the same time, it I didn't think that they were the problem, Right. That mm. that very late play though was a super cool play call. What third and what was that third and eight? Like let, let, let me let me look it up because I I do want to get it right. I was like I didn't I mean I didn't expect it. I game was like, oh, on the line. Game on the line. They saw the Bears in a sticks defense and said, "Well, why don't we just run it at them?" And they got it. Like yeah. Th- third and two from the seven with thirty eight seconds left. That's it. And no, and no timeouts. Right. Ran the ball for six yards. It's awesome. It's awesome. Like and, it, and like that right there, Robert, and kind of what we've been talking about. That's why Ben Johnson is my number one candidate to take over for the Bears. I mean, he seems really fun, right? And I, I get that there's all kinds of risk that everybody's looking at. I, I can even see it in our chat right now that there are plenty that have mentioned like just that frustrating feeling of, oh, yeah, let's just reset it because it's going to be so much better the next time, right? But I'll tell you what, this Bears team is pretty well set up to turn over to another mind. I mean, I'm not trying to say that everything is going to work. It's not that simple. We don't know, right? But they're like, you give any new head coach the choice between Justin Fields or one of these young guys, and at least you feel pretty decent about, okay, we have a quarterbacking floor, 
right? And yep. then you move on from there. You say, okay, now we've got Darnell Wright still well on his rookie contract. We've got some defensive tackles that are showing something. We've got Montez Sweat while he's still relatively young. We've got maybe two, but at least, or maybe three, but at least two solid corners we're excited about. We got some rebuilding to do in the safety room, even though I think Brisker is at the very least average, but J- or Eddie's probably at the end of the road and they need to figure something out. That uh, Jamison Williams pass, now that I'm remembering it, that was, uh, what, a cover two hole shot, wasn't it? Yeah, like, that's maybe, yeah. And so the the defense kind of just gave that away, but there you go. Like, I, I look at this Bears team and I think to myself, if you told me that this Bears team had Marvin Harrison Jr. and also whoever they picked it for, I would get really excited about it. But if you also told me that this Bears team had the a new head coach's choice of quarterback and also whoever they picked at number four, or even crazier, they trade down from four for whoever wants to come up for whatever and market that slot, pick up some more draft capital and add talent from there. Like I can't help but look at this team and think this thing has a pretty bright future. Like if the bears find a similar play to, or like a similar coach to Shane Steichen, what he's doing in Indianapolis. Like, I'm not trying to use D'Amico Ryans. Everybody always wants to use the crazy scenario, right? If the Bears find a quarterback that can give us some fun times in 2024 on a roster ready to roll, I mean, man, Nick, how excited would you be if you added even Malik Neighbors, Keon Coleman, or Roma Dunze to this roster alongside DJ Moore and a choice of quarterback if the Bears did decide to go away from Justin Fields? Like, I see fun days ahead. I see a Bears defense or a Bears team that's better built. It's got a much stronger foundation on the offensive and even the defensive lines than it's had in a while. And it's all under control for at least about two years. It's the ideal time to be doing this. It is. It is. And and the thing that gets me excited, if it is Ben Johnson, he's my top candidate, is when you look at Detroit, okay, Jared Goff was a toss-in in that trade. David Montgomery, okay, I've been very critical of David Montgomery. David Montgomery was the least efficient running back the last four years when he was at Chicago. He goes to Detroit, and all of a sudden he's he's above average in efficiency there. You look at St. Brown, was a fourth-round pick. You look, I mean, Jameson Williams isn't been good. He's been suspended and injured a little bit there. Uh, Laporta is a second round pick, like the line. There's some first round picks there. I get it. But like you look at a lot of those weapons. I mean, when they had to have Craig Reynolds in there, Josh Reynolds, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the other small receiver, Khalif Raymond, mm-hmm. et cetera. Those, how many of those guys, there's like not many, they're like premium assets. What Ben Johnson's been able to do. He's like, okay, this is what we have. I'm going to use these guys to their the best that they can. I'm going to coach them up. I'm going to make them play the best ball that they can. That's the sign of someone that understands football, understands schemes, understands strengths and weaknesses of own team, that be self-scouting, strengths and weaknesses of opponent, and can game plan to have one of the best offenses in the NFL over a year and a half, over a year and a half now, Robert. Like, that's a guy that I'm like, that's a good football mind. Like that person, you put them in Chicago with the weapons you're talking about. We are an above 500 football team easily next year. Oh yeah. Can't wait, man. But Mm -hmm. we're going to have to just wait until all this stuff plays out because as much as I would love to play out draft scenarios and talk more and more and more, we already kind of hinted at it last week, at least as I see it, the scariest, not scary. The, the biggest piece to this bear season is that now they have just finished week 11. They enter week 12. They still have what six games left. 
there's a lot we don't know. But mm-hmm. if you feel like I do, this one was a backbreaker. And yeah, I don't know if you can heal it. But that's okay. That's okay. Uh, as we move on, we will find plenty of things to talk about throughout the course of the rest of the season. Again, really excited about a, a lot of the play by the young guys in this one. Nick, where can folks find your work online? Yeah, um, I'll be on Twitter. Um, this week, I'm, I'm I'm in Michigan. I'm still in Michigan, so I'll be uh, our, our pregame pod. This week, I'll still be here, but uh, I'll be having my contrarian article with football guys again. Uh, that's always fun, but uh, I won't be doing any videos or anything this week outside of this. I completely understand. You can find me every single day on DeBear's blog. Is this the Thanksgiving week? This is the Thanksgiving week, right? So -hmm. we get a lot more football than usual. We get plenty of Thursday action. We get a Friday game. Then we get more Sunday stuff. So I'll be coming at you guys with articles Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then Jeff and we or Jeff and I have a bunch of like open threads and basic stuff uh, going on through Thanksgiving. So enjoy some time with however you want to spend it. If it's with family, that's phenomenal. If it's by yourself, that's totally okay but beyond this i know i'm excited to see the way that the bears that the bears season plays out it's a bummer that it's pointed in this direction but at least it's been extreme right (laughs) yeah yeah we've had the wide range of emotions i mean i was happy for a lot of today so right i can't believe it turned like it did but Mm -hmm. as always i'm robert schmitz this has been bear with us bear down and thank you so much for bearing with us. 